Well, this morning we are going to uh, we're going to look a little bit. I don't know that we're going to look deeper, but we're going to look a little bit more at a crisis that I've been talking about for a couple of weeks. So we're just calling this series "Crisis." Religion or relationship. And for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at religion. We're going to look at religion one more time today. Next week, we're going to get to relationship, okay? But I think it's important that we understand what religion is. I think it's important, and I hope today, that you'll understand how... Choose a good word here. How pervasive it is and how soaked in it we are. Okay, and we don't we don't really recognize it. We don't really realize that. But today, I hope through some humorous illustrations and maybe some pointed ones, I can I can get us all where we're at the same place. And then I'm going to challenge you at the end of the service. I almost want to challenge you now, but I'm going to save it. I I was preaching last week, and God said, "Here's what I want you to do next week," and I couldn't hardly stand it. I mean, it. I thought I might have to wait a week, you know, and. Uh, but anyway, today we want to talk about the reality of religion. Re- religion is real, okay? It's, it's not just something that we think. And I want you to understand, the Bible does talk about religion. But if you look, there's only a couple of verses about religion in Scripture. And one of those verses is to take care of widows and orphans. You want to know what real religion is? It's, it's those who take care. They're practicing their faith. That's what Scripture says, by taking care of the widows and the orphans, okay? But most of the religion that we're inundated with and drowning in has nothing to do with Scripture. It's a system. And several years ago, and it's been probably almost 15 now, I was sitting with, a, with another pastor, and we were just talking. We were, we were, on, the, we were on staff at the same church, and... Um, and he mentioned a verse that God had just grabbed him with. And I went home and read that verse, and God grabbed me with it. And so I use this verse from time to time on a pretty regular basis as a tool to make sure my motives and my, my actions are real. That they're not, you know, you can do good things, and sometimes we do them to get attention. We, we, we have good motives. We want to help people. But down below that, there's some ulterior motives to get attention or to make ourselves feel good. And, and, and listen, it's, it's true in, in pastors just like it is everybody else. And so I begin to really question, why am I doing this? What's, what's, what's my you know, reasoning for this? And it, it captures my attention every time I read it, every time I hear the verse quoted. And it makes me shudder. Okay, because I know, I'll just speak for myself, I know how, I know how wicked my heart can be. Okay? That's probably not anything anybody wanted to hear, but the reality of it is, we're all in that boat. Okay? Our, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Unless we are continually giving that heart over. And those motives over and those attitudes over to Jesus. Unless we're, in a sense, crucifying them moment by moment. That's what religion does. It's, it's a, and this verse is kind of a great definition. In fact, it's a wonderful definition. But the verse is found in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. And, it, and it's Timothy, Paul has been writing to Timothy and he, he's talking about a group of individuals that, uh, that he wants Timothy to be careful and to watch for and to make sure that you know, he, didn't get, he didn't get tied up in them with them. And, and he's talking about that in the last days, in those days before Christ comes. And, and they lived in the last days. And folks, we live in the last days. The last days begin the moment Christ died on the cross. Okay, but anyway, he talks about these these individuals that will come, and he describes them. I mean, they were they were lovers of self, lovers of money. They were boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, and on and on and on. It's it's a pretty discouraging list. Okay, and here's the reality: that group lived in Paul's day, and these same attitudes are prevalent in our day. 
Okay? But then he get, in verse 5, he, he, he sums up. He sums up this in, a, in, a, in just a few words. And he says, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. I remember, just like it was yesterday, sitting with my friend, and it was like an arrow hit me in the heart. It was like being hit with a rock in the head. Now, growing up as a kid, we threw stuff all the time. I, I, I make sure no kids, well, there really are. I mean, we, my daddy would let us throw pine cones, okay? Pine burrs is what I called them, and, uh, and corn cobs, all right? But he'd tear us up. He caught us throwing rocks. Well, we'd throw pine cones and corn cobs from around the house. But when we got off somewhere, we'd load up with rocks. Okay? And I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever been hit in the head with a rock, it does one of two things. It knocks you out or it wakes you up. <laughs> okay? This, this is, for me, this verse is like being hit with a rock and awakened. Holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. If you, tra- if you took that word for godliness, you could also translate it. In fact, it's an alternate translation sometimes in the columns in the New American Standard. It could, it's the same word for religion. Holding a form of religion, although they have denied its power. Religion denies the power of God. But it attempts, to, it attempts to transform it into something that you and I can do on our own. Religion is attempt to be godly without God. I mean, if, if you want to just sum it up, it's an attempt to be godly. And, and, and when, I, when I say this next phrase, I don't want you to misunderstand me. It's, a, it's an attempt to be godlike. Not, not that we are like God in the sense that we can do things like God does. But we are to be the image and the likeness of God. Okay, we are to be visible representations of him in the physical realm. And so the, the religion wants us to be godly. It wants us to be righteous without God. And folks, that's impossible. But, but very often we believe that lie. It's holding on to a counterfeit. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of denying the real deal of, uh, Religion, you know, you, 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 this may offend you, but it, it kind of reeks and stinks from every crack and crevice of Christendom today. Okay, I'm just going to say it like it is. It, it, it stinks. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it, 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 it just rises up. It's all around us. It's in most of what we believe and what we do as Christians. It's, it's kind of like a virus that we can't seem to get away from or a fever that we can't shake. It, 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 I, I remember last week as I was studying and preparing, uh, I was watching the news and, and, and God just gave me an illustration of what it's like. It was freezing rain falling and, and it was coating everything. It's like freezing rain coating the trees with the power lines. Religion coats us. Okay, and we don't recognize it because it's pervasive and it's 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 persistent. It kind of worms its way in, and over time, it becomes a part of our belief and the way we practice our faith. It's it's a form of godliness. Okay, it's a form of godliness, a form of reverence, a form of of lip service is maybe a better way to put it toward God, but it denies the power of God. In other words, what religion really says is, is you don't need the person in the presence of God as long as you participate in the things of God. You don't need God's presence. You don't need God's power if you, as long as you just do the things that surround God. And I could give you all kinds of illustration, but I'm going to save that. Listen to me. You can't have a relationship with a person without their presence. Okay? Unless you enjoy that person's presence in some form or fashion, you can't have a true relationship with them. Instead, what you get is, is, is religion, a system of practice where you practice your godliness 
apart from God. You, you do what you think God wants rather than being with God and learning what He wants. My head is running all over the place. All kinds of examples are going through my mind. I'm just going to hang on to them. But I will give you some examples of the pervasiveness of religion in churches. And, and some of these, you're going to think, I can't believe that. But believe me, they're true. Okay, And, and they're going to be humorous in, in some ways and not so humorous in another. This is not aimed at any church. Any denomination. This is just across the board. Do you know in some churches. You can only use one translation. Okay. I know of a church where it's etched. Not etched. It's carved in the pulpit. Okay. It's the translation and the word only. Alright. I know, I know a church like that. It, 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 and, and the reasoning is, and listen to me, I've heard people say this. I've had it said to me, if it was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for you, preacher. What do you do there? Please hear my heart. Ignorance runneth amok and amok and amok. Okay? Jesus didn't speak. King James English. And besides that, the King James wasn't even translated to 1611. That's 1611 years after the death of our Lord. Jesus spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke Greek. His Bible was the Old Testament, which at that time was either in Hebrew or the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation. He didn't use thou and thee. And we go to meet today. I mean, he did, he, Jesus didn't use that. Okay? And, and I just chuckle now, okay? I can remember preaching years ago. Uh, I had a, 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 a professor that wanted me to go and preach at this church. And, and I didn't realize when I went to preach at the church, but I was candidating to be the pastor. I mean, I realized they had no pastor. And I can remember preaching, and I can remember uh, them grilling me like I was a, a, a prized piece of pork on the spit, okay? I mean, they just lots of questions. And then I met with a committee, and they asked me lots of questions. And I can remember that evening preaching again. And after the, the service, it was open to anybody that wanted to ask a question. There was a gentleman there that, that asked me, uh, about the translation I was preaching from. Well, it was a translation I had used in Bible college, okay? Which this church would have been a part of that tribe. But his question was, in essence, is why are you not using the King James? And I, I gave a, a very erudite, educated reason. Just a general reason. And then he came, went around again, he asked the same question, just in a different way. And I gave another general answer. And he asked the question again in a few minutes, and I gave a real specific answer. And he asked the question a fourth time. And I don't have, I'm not long-suffering like God. (laughs) And so I just said, bro, it's like this. If I come to be the pastor of this church, I'm going to preach from this translation, okay? Needless to say, I'm not the pastor and never was the pastor of that church. And I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that against that church, or in any way, but there was a religious issue there. It was, the, it was that translation or no translation. Folks, whatever Bible you're holding is a translation. It's not a copy of the original Greek text. All right? Okay. Now that I feel better about that, that's religion. Okay, if you like the King James, use the King James. If you like the New Living Translation, you just use a translation. Most people that gripe and moan don't even read their Bible. Okay? It's just religion. If, if you grew up on that, most of the verses I can quote are straight out of the King James. I got nothing against the translation. 
It's what I cut my teeth on. It's what, how I learned who Jesus was. When I was saved, they gave me a copy. It, it, but that's not what I preach from today. There, there are other translations. There, there is no translation. When we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to have a big King James Bible that, that he reads from. Okay, It's just not going to happen. He's not going to have a new living translation. He's not going to have a King James, an ESV, or the host of others. Okay? That's religion. Now, every church has an order of service, right? I mean, I grew up and the order of service was three hymns. Three verses. First, second, and last. Okay? I, it was the, that's the way we did it. Some church, it, I was always freaked out when we went to a church that sang all the verses. Some of them did. They had, they had a different order of service, okay? But it was three hymns, a prayer, and a sermon. Or as a friend of mine says, three hymns, a prayer, a three-point sermon, and a poem, okay? We get used to it. There is, an, there, listen, an order, there's nothing wrong with the order of service. But I know places when that's deviated from, everybody gets freaked out. I'll guarantee you if we had come in this morning and after Charles did the announcements and if we'd have passed the plate, it would have wigged some of y'all out. Right? Let's just be honest. It would have freaked you out a little bit. They're taking the money. What's the deal? Or what if this morning, instead of going right into worship, after I said the prayer, I just came up here and started preaching. And we saved worship to last. See, if the order of service is the ultimate thing for you when you worship, it's not about God. It's religion. Does, does that make sense? Now, these are humorous things, okay? But, you know, if you don't wear a suit or a tie, especially if you stand behind the pulpit, I've, I've heard that. No, not from you, but I've heard that. And listen, if I go to a church to preach where they wear a suit and a tie, I will wear a suit and a tie. You know why? Because I don't want anything to take away from what God wants to say that morning. That, if that's their tradition, and that's... I, I go to churches and have gone to churches that I know they only use the King James. You know what I do? I take my King James. I don't try to, to, to upset the apple cart just to be different. But folks, a suit and a tie... They've not always worn suit and ties to church. Okay? Some people wear robes and preach from. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've already mentioned this, but what if this morning instead of singing four songs, we sang six or eight or twelve? What if we didn't sing at all? <laughs> be a lot on be a lot on our praise day. Folks, all of that stuff is religion and it, it has nothing to do with the relationship you or I have with Jesus. But it's it's a part of the system. I mean, we laugh and we joke about some of these. But it goes far deeper than that. We argue about the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, we, we get offended if, if somebody walks in one gift and it's not a gift that we're used to or that we understand or, or that we're comfortable with. And we, we, we look down our nose at, at one another. When in reality, most of the people who are upset and argue about those things have never ever read the texts in the Scripture or know what it says. They just listen to pastor scream and shout or puff and stuff or whoever the pastor was teach on his position. Folks, the church today is not paying attention to the Word of God. We're teaching the traditions of this pastor and this pastor and this pastor and this pastor. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with having different points of view as a pastor. Okay? We're, we're going to be that way until Jesus comes. But we shouldn't test our orthodoxy. Or let me, let me, let me back away from the word orthodox. We shouldn't test our love and our fellowship 
based on things we agree with. When, when things that we agree with in a body cause us to sit over here and everybody else on the other side, that's religion. Because most of the things we disagree with, we've never really studied out to see what God's Word even says. Now, I know that's not going to sit well with some people, but here's the reality. If you'll dig into this book, you'll find that a lot of the stuff you have heard preached and taught are the opinions of some scholar who lived 150 years ago or 1,700 years ago. It may not be what Jesus said or what the Apostle Paul was teaching. Now, I don't mean we have an open mind to anything that's taught. What I'm saying here is we uh, we don't allow religion to dictate what we believe when the Word of God says something else. We ought to be diligent enough to study the Word of God. But religion will keep you from studying the Word of God. It will cause you to accept less than what God teaches and, and there are a whole lot of theolo- theologies, that isn't the right word, theology. There are a whole lot of theologies and beliefs that divide the body of Christ, okay? And some of them, to be honest with you, don't have much basis, okay? And some of them we can argue over until Jesus comes. Pick a side. If you've got to have a side... What I'm saying is find out what God's Word says and live it out. Live it out. There, I, understand, I understand enough about this book that, that what I do understand gives me all that I can do. Okay, There are some passages and there are some, some areas that, you know what, I don't understand. And I've read all the positions and I still don't understand. And you know what? It's okay. When I get to heaven, maybe if there's a spare moment between worshiping Jesus throughout eternity, I can say, Lord, could you give me some insight here? I mean, I just think about the, the disciples here. Jesus is teaching parable after parable after parable. He says to those, to, to you it's been given the, 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 the understanding, the knowledge to know, and he teaches a parable, and they're looking at each other like, what's he talking about? And so they get by themselves, and they go, Lord, what did you mean? And Jesus explained it. Listen, if they had to have it explained, we're probably going to have to have it explained, okay? But religion says, hey, it's this way or the highway. Man, I get really antsy when I talk to somebody and it's this way or the highway. I'm in a church and that's the way it is. It's the highway for me, okay? Because there are differing thoughts on a lot of passages of Scripture. What I'm saying here is study it yourself. Dig it out yourself. Forget about what this pastor said or this theology teaches or this denomination says. Learn what God says. Okay? Learn what God says. It's okay to disagree. I've got some guys that that I love with all my heart. I would do anything in the world for them. If they call me, I would be there. We disagree theologically on some issues. But it's not a measuring stick for our friendship. When it becomes a measuring stick, when it becomes whether or not I'm going to love this person or serve this person, then it's religion, folks. It's not relationship. Listen, the music's too loud. The music's not loud enough. The preacher's too loud. The preacher's too soft. He didn't mention Jesus but one time in his sermon. And he never talks about hell. I hear this all the time from people. Now, they're not talking about me, okay? Although I probably hadn't mentioned hell in a few weeks. Hell, hell, hell. There you go. There's four, there's four weeks worth, okay? I'm getting free right up here this morning, okay? I try to be reserved and not tell you what I think, but... But this stuff drives me crazy. I, I, well, you, 
You know, you shouldn't watch that Christian television. That pastor doesn't, he never says anything about hell. Well, they don't know what he says. They don't watch him. They heard one of their friends say, this guy's wrong. You don't need to watch him. They've never investigated. Okay? Is there some goofy stuff on Christian TV? There sure is. There's also some good stuff. And there's also some men who have not been called to preach hell, fire, and brimstone. They've been called to encourage the body of Christ. You've got to listen to them, and you've got to understand what their audience is, and you also need to understand this. 30 minutes of television time does not cover the whole service. Okay? So before we nail them to the cross and put them on the hill with heretics, we owe ourselves, and we owe that man, and we owe God. A few minutes to see what that guy's doing or what that lady's doing or whomever it is, what this church is doing. Does that make sense? Religion says, hey, he doesn't use hell enough in his sermons and he doesn't scream and shout. Look, you don't have to scream and shout and spit and sputter, okay? To bring the word of God. You don't have to go home. I grew up, and, and some of you did too. I was in churches from time to time where, man, you went to church, and, and if the pastor didn't beat on the sheep, you didn't feel like you'd been to church. I've had people tell me that. I just don't feel like I've been to church today, pastor. You didn't beat on me. It's not my job to beat on you. I'm not a sheep beater, okay? When you beat sheep, they die. Okay, they die. They lay down and they die. You can beat on cattle. I mean, you can beat on a big Holstein and he'll just look at you, shake his head and go on where he wants to go. You can't do that with sheep. You serve and minister and lead sheep. Okay? If you like being beat on, you're going to have to go somewhere else. It's not my job. That's God's job if he wants to wear you out. Okay? I'm going to preach the truth. But, you know, we, we just, we can't measure our experience because we've been beat up. Okay? I just don't see that when Jesus ministers. The only people he beat on were the religious ones. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the lawyers, and the, 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 uh, the Sadducees. Those were the group, if he, if he beat on... He's the, they're the ones he he didn't hammer the regular people, folks. When we judge another person's actions based on our own opinion or our belief system, it's religion. It's not relationship. Listen to me. If you want to be the the judge and the jury and the executioner, it's a slippery slope and probably one you don't want to ski down. Because Scripture is very clear that the way in which you Meted out will be the way it's meted out to you. That's right. It's religion when we do that. We've become far too judgmental and far too rigid and far too. Now, I'm not saying anything goes. I want you to hear me, okay? It doesn't. But Jesus was not just like this, afraid he was going to step over here and break this law or that law. He just didn't worry about it. He knew the law of God. He knew why God had given the law. It was not to confine him and put him into bondage. It was to set him free to be who God had created him to be. But we've become rigid and we've become self-righteous and we've become mean-spirited. Okay, I'm just going to get this off my chest. All right? How do I want to say this? I know why Jesus went to the prostitutes and the thieves and the drunkards. They were a lot more welcoming than the religious people. Okay? I mean, the church basically kills its own. We may not shoot them, but we stop them. We'd rather cross the street and turn our heads than confront and minister to people who's down and out. Maybe it's a drug addict. Okay? My job's not to judge his lifestyle. I don't know why he's there or why she's there. My job is if God gives me that opportunity, it's to minister to them in any way I can. Do I give them cash? No. Okay? 
because I'm not stupid. If you're a drug addict, what are you thinking about? The next fix of drugs. If you're an alcoholic, what are you thinking about? The next fix of alcohol. But you know, he might or she might just be hungry. I could walk around the corner and buy a burger and a Coke and some fries. It may not be that healthy, but listen, compared to what they're ingesting, it ain't going to hurt them. Okay? It might be a homeless family. Listen to me, everybody that's homeless is not homeless because they want to be. There are a lot of people out there that are homeless because of situations and circumstances. Here, I I realize this, a month or two, maybe a little longer than that, right now in my case, I could be homeless. I can remember a time when it was almost week to week when I first started out. Maybe it's maybe it's just somebody's lost their job that needs some encouragement. Maybe it's a somebody that's demonized and they've they've got real issues. Maybe it's it's a kid who just can't sit still. I've seen the look. I've given the look, okay? I understand. I am one. But it's that's folks, that's not I mean, this is exactly what Jesus confronted when he told the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, he's talking to the religious elite. He uses two illustrations, and both of the illustrations for them turned their head and crossed over on the other side of the street. And folks, we've gotten to that place in the body of Christ, in most bodies today. We would much rather cross the road and go, mm, 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 than kneel down and minister. We'd rather collect money. And most Christians, this is sad, would rather give money for missions than be missional. Okay? Let that settle in for a minute. And I want you to hear what I'm saying. We'd rather collect it and we'd rather give it than actually be it. That's religion. Now, you know what? We can't all go to Africa. We can't all go to Mexico. I understand that. But we can all go across the street or to the fence that separates us from our neighbor or into the town we live and work in. We can all do that. But we, we, we would rather hire mercenaries. Now, and I'm, 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 I just say it. We'd rather hire somebody to do what we're not willing to do. That's religion. Okay? That's religion. That's re- I mean... Like it or not, that's, that's religion. Well, we have a whole host of things that we consider right and wrong. And if you do this and this and this, you're okay. And if you do this and this and this, well, you're headed for hell. I mean, we do that all the time. And most of the rules and the regulations and the rituals are really nothing more than hand-me-downs from a previous generation. I shared the illustration last week, of, I think, last week of the pastor who all the preachers in a certain part of Texas were preaching with their hand behind their ear because brother so-and-so did it. Well, brother so-and-so did it because he couldn't hear. But none of them knew that. All the young guys wanted to pattern themselves after this preacher, and so they were preaching with their hand cut behind their ear. A lot of the stuff we, we've, we've internalized and has become a part of our faith was handed down to us from another generation where there was a real reason. I, I'll never forget a friend of mine who, who pastored up north. He went to a church, and on either side of the pulpit were these big old candles. I mean, they were gigantic candles. And he said, man, it was so hot up there, I couldn't breathe. So he said, after the first service, I decided I'd move the candles somewhere else. And he said, hmm. It was not pretty the next Sunday. I said, so why, what's the deal with the candles? Well, nobody knew. They'd just always been there. You know why the candles were there? Because when the church first came about in the 1800s, they didn't have any heat. <laughs> Folks, that's what religion does. It takes things that, that are important and that were necessary in this day, and then it's just passed down, and we just keep doing it. We still do them because that's the way they've always been done. Not because they're biblical and not because they're needed. Folks, that's religion. 
And all of us are infected, all of us, okay, are infected to some degree or other. We're no different than the people Jesus came to. We're no different than the people that he saw and visited in the towns and the synagogues of Israel or when he went up to the temple in Jerusalem. God had given Israel a blueprint that would guide them to a genuine relationship with God. That's what the Mosaic Law was all about. It wasn't do this and don't do this. It was a blueprint so that they could have a genuine relationship with God. And what had happened is they turned it into a litmus test for orthodoxy. They added a few hundred rules and regulations. And that's what we do as human beings. We like to add stuff. Okay? Whenever you have rules, we we never want to delete any of the rules. We always want to add some more. Amen? Okay? God just gave them ten. Ten rules. And they added about 160, maybe 360 more. Okay? And they used it. And this is what always happens in a generation or two or three or four. They used it to burden and to persecute everybody who wasn't like them. Right out of the church. When Jesus came, folks, there was a a handful of people who thought they had it all together. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers and the Herodians. Everybody else, the regular folks, they just did the best they could and hoped, maybe, maybe I won't go to hell. And if I do, maybe it'll be one of the cooler places, not the hottest part. Okay, they'd given up hope. I mean, they had given up. That's why they were looking for the Messiah. That's why the regular people were looking for the Messiah. They turned the things like the sacrifices and the offerings and the feasts and the clothing that, that God said, I want you to do. I want you to put fringes on the corners of your robes so that you'll remember this. I want you to offer a sacrifice because in that sacrifice, when you have to take that animal's life and it is, 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 it, it, it pulls on your heart, it makes you sick at your stomach, your babies cry because you just killed the fatted calf that they've been petting and feeding for six months. I want you to remember how awful sin is. I want you to celebrate these festivals because these festivals will remind you of my promise. Or they will remind you of what I've done in the past. I want you to do these things so that that your mind will be, you will remember. Not because it makes you holy. Not because it makes you better than anybody else. They took those things, they took the things that, 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 that God had given them to remind them of God's holiness and His faithfulness and His love, and they turned them into merit badges for their religion. I got to get this merit badge, this merit badge, and this merit badge. I got to do this, this, and this if I'm going to be this. If I want to move to this level, I've got to do this, this, and this. And you know what it did? It made them mean and arrogant. And rebellious. And guess what? They became racists. They hated everybody else. Who wasn't like them. Read the book of Jonah. God says I'm going to destroy Nineveh. Jonah goes. I love it God. But he knew God. If he went and preached what God had told him. That they'd probably repent. And God wouldn't do it. So you know what he did? He went the other way. And then after he's preached and the whole nation has turned to God, he goes out and lays under a weed and prays that God will take his life because, God, I knew you would do this. I knew you wouldn't destroy him. Folks, that is racism. He hated the Assyrians. Jesus didn't die for that. He died to get rid of that. He died to get rid of religion. He gave his life on the cross Folks, to smash 
the head of religion, to crush the life out of it. He didn't come to redeem it. He came to get rid of it by releasing grace into a system that was choking on do this and don't do that and do this and this and this. And if you do this, well, you're with it. But if you do that, you know what I mean. He came to destroy a very intricate system of works that will make you godly, or so they thought, without God. That's what religion is. Folks, they had taken the Word of God and made it their God. Folks, that is a very, very common thing in the body of Christ today. There are are men and women who worship the Word. And by that I mean what's written on the pages rather than the Word who gave it. Okay? Now, I believe that this book is inerrant, inspired, all the I words. I believe that. But this ain't Jesus. This tells us about Jesus. This is the testimony that shows us who Jesus is. Folks, Jesus was standing in the midst. The very Word of God Himself was standing in the midst of these religious leaders. And they didn't recognize Him. They missed Him. You know why? Because He didn't fit their religious system. He didn't look like what they thought God should look like. He didn't behave like God should behave. That's religion. That's what religion does. Jesus doesn't fit their religion. And He won't fit any of our religions. Okay? Jesus is who He is. I, I love His name. I am that I am. Okay? I don't change. I, I read these, these passages in Matthew and, and sometimes I chuckle and then sometimes my heart is broken by them. When I read them with a religious eye, I kind of chuckle. But when I read them with a relationship eye, it breaks my heart. I'm just going to read one to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 23. And it's in... And, Verse 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. How how many of you know what mint and dill and cumin is? Herbs, spices, powder. It's what you grow in your window. Okay? They didn't have fields and fields of this just like we don't. What would you do with it? Okay, they had little bits of it. And they tithed on their cumin and their mint and their dill. But you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, of justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. In other words, Jesus doesn't say it's one against the other. It's both. But you know what? You've tithed herbs and spices. But you could care less about law and you could care less about justice and mercy and faithfulness. And then this, this last, uh, what he calls them, he says, You blind guides who strain a gnat and swallow a camel. I mean, they're trying to get the gnats, the little things that don't really matter that much. And they're swallowing camels. I don't know if you've ever seen a camel up close. They're a lot bigger than a gnat. And a lot nastier. Alright? Jesus put it this way. In John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Me. And you are unwilling to come to Me so that you may have life. You've made this your God... And you missed your God standing in your midst. Folks, it's really easy to take this book and beat the life out of people. As a pastor, it would be really easy to stand up here and bang the pulpit and beat people. But you know what? You can't have a church that way. 
You can't grow a body of healthy believers by beating on them. That's religion. That's what religion, religion wants your heads down, your heart down. It wants you to live like this, believing that if I could just do a little bit better, God will love me. That's religion. God says, lift up your head. Look to the mountains because that's where your redemption is coming from. God wants us looking up, not looking down. If I'm looking down, I can't see where I'm going. I think this is true. I'm going to tell it like it is, okay? But if you start, as we get older, okay, we start to pay attention to where we put our feet, right? When we're younger, we really don't pay a lot of attention. We just, you know, we're just everywhere. But here's what will happen. If you watch your feet too much, you'll lose your balance. You'll lose your ability to walk. If we walk around like this all the time, we're going to miss what God's doing. We're going to miss all the opportunities that he sent right down in front of us. Look, God sent Jesus to the first century and they missed it. Why? Because they liked religion. They liked it. They liked it. Folks, life doesn't spring out of religion. It springs out of relationship. The Pharisees and, and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the scribes, they didn't want a relationship. They had religion. If I do this, this, and this, and I can check it off on my sheet and move on, I'm pretty good. The do's and the don'ts. Let's just be honest. We like that. There are some of you today that wished I'd just pass a sheet out. If I could check this off, I'd know I'd be okay. There is no list. Okay? There is no list. They were envious. They were envious of Jesus' relationship with his father. But they were unwilling to do anything other than their checklist to have a relationship with God. I don't know if you realize this or not, but envy is what crucified Jesus. When the Lord stands before Pilate, Pilate has one of those moments. He's listening to the accusers and he's, he's, he's observing Jesus and, and he's not an idiot. He's a smart man and he puts one and one together. And this is what Scripture says in Matthew 27 verse 18. For he, Pilate, knew that because of envy, they, the Jewish leadership, had delivered Jesus up. Folks, religion is no different than it was in Jesus' day. It's still trying to kill relationship. Religion persecutes relationship. Why? Because envy... Well, let me put it this way. Jealousy wants what someone else has. Envy is willing to kill to get it. That's the difference between jealousy and envy. They wanted what Jesus had, but they were unwilling to do anything for it. So therefore, let's just get rid of it. Folks, that's religion. Religion envies relationship. That's why it persecutes and destroys. Relationship brings freedom. It brings unconditional grace. It brings amazing creativity, limitless expression, unique diversity. And it brings unity. Unity. It makes us one. We can be different, but we can be one. You know what? Satan can't handle those things. Because if those things start to happen in a church, it would radically change that church, which would radically change that community. And you know what? It would mess up his apple cart. So what he does is he stirs up the fires of religion where the works of religion are released. Bondage and control and shame and guilt and persecution and division and uniformity. You know the difference between unity and uniformity. Unity is being one. Uniformity is everybody is the same. And folks, we are not all the same. Okay? We are not all alike. Some of you are saying, thank God I'm not like the guy standing behind the pulpit. Well, the guy in the pulpit's thinking the same thing. I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm glad I'm not that person. We're different. God made us different. But for some reason, we can't recognize religion for what it is and distance ourselves from it. 
It kind of clings to us like red mud does on boots. So I want to challenge you with something this morning. And I want you to try this, okay? I want you to listen to me for a minute or two. What would happen if we did, as a church, as individuals in this church, but as a body, what if we did a 40-day religious fast? I'm not asking you, listen to me, don't, 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 don't. I'm not asking you to go without food for 40 days. I know most of you are going to say, there's no way, Jose, I'm out of here. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. You can fast from other things. What if we did a religious fast starting today? That means on, on I got to look at the date because I'm not good with numbers, okay? Y'all probably seen that in what I mail out. I'm, I'm terrible with numbers. But let's, today's January the 18th. What if we fasted from religion until February the 26th? 40 days. What if we swore off anything that smelled like religion or smacked of religion? What if we started stopped just ingesting it? What if we asked the Holy Spirit to show us every vestige, every little bit of residue of religion in our life? I want you to think about that for a minute. What would happen if every time one of those little religious attitudes started rising up in us. And we said, you know what? In Jesus' name, I cast that down. I'm not going there today. I'm not thinking that stuff. That's not right. That's wrong. What if we saw somebody that we didn't particularly like from another church? And we refused to... But instead, we walked over to them and spoke to them and greeted them and smiled at them. Or just smiled at them. Just, I'm going to ask you to do that. Just smile. What, what if... What, if, what would happen if every time that little religious attitude or that little action that wasn't motivated by freedom gained through a relationship with Christ? What if, what if all of a sudden we started to, to choose those kind of attitudes? Okay, God, relationship-wise, what do I need to do here? What do I need to think here? What if we just kind of shut those things down? What if you refused to argue your beliefs with somebody. Well, Nelson, I've, I've got to share the gospel. Listen to me. When you argue beliefs, the only person that gets any glory is Satan. Because it creates confusion for everybody around except the two people who are arguing. Every, they're listening. What if we just stopped arguing and we just shared what Jesus was doing in our life. Right now. Let me tell you what God's done for me. Yes, but in the sphere of things and in the biblical, what does that have to do with revelation? Or, or, or are you reformed or non-reformed? What does that really matter? Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. What if we swore that stuff off for 40 days? What if we were to begin to examine every facet of what we believe in light of what God's Word says and we're willing to say, you know what? I have taken the hook right here and the bait and I believed a lie. I got to get rid of that. Oh, I've, I've got the truth here. This one's okay. What if we did that for 40 days? What would happen if for 40 days... All you did was read the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 84 chapters. 40 days. That's two chapters and a teeny tiny bit. You just read them. And you said, you know what? I want to see how Jesus responded to people. What if we just begin to imitate Jesus over this period of 40 days? You may tell you what will happen. The level of religiosity that we have blindly accepted would make us sick. It wouldn't be too many days. If you've ever fasted, there's about, about five days into it when all of a sudden you realize what a sinner you really are. It, it, just, it just comes to grips. You realize, you know what, I mean exactly what Scripture says. And I'll guarantee you it probably won't take that long with a religion fast, when all of a sudden you realize, when we realize, 
you know, I believe this and this and this. Why in the world am I believing this? All of a sudden, you know what? We'd, be, we'd begin to experience freedom and joy in our faith that very few people around us would understand. And you know what would happen over a short time? I dare say long before that 40 days is over, you would be altered. You would be different. Have you ever given up something to eat because it's not healthy? And you're out somewhere and you get a little taste of it? We cut back on fried foods several years ago. And whenever I eat anything greasy, it's like a rock in the pit of my stomach. The same thing will happen if you, if you choose to give up religion. You'll start, I'll tell you what else will happen. You'll start to feel compassion for people, no matter what their circumstances are, their situation, or their sin. And what will also begin to happen is you'll start to hunger for just a few minutes that you can steal away with God. doesn't have to be 30 minutes or an hour first thing in the morning. It might be two minutes in the middle of the day or a couple of hours late at night. I guarantee this will happen. You'll stop being depressed and dejected and anxious and worried and frustrated. And most of you, including myself, will not be downright mean. All right? We won't be mean anymore. Well, listen to me. It's not going to be easy. But listen, gaining the best comes with a cost. You have to pursue it. You've you got to be unwilling to take no for an answer. You say, well, I'm afraid this will happen, this will happen, and this will happen. Well, so what? This fast is between you and God. You don't have to keep a checklist. You don't have to report to anybody. This is just an experiment for you and for us as a body. Listen, religion is like a pacifier. All of you know what a pacifier is. That's when you give a ba- what you give a baby because you don't want to feed them. Okay? Right? You can't continually feed a baby. Right? Okay? Religion is like a pacifier. So why do we, if, if we're not going to get anything out of it, why do we continue to suck on it? Why do we, why do we nourish ourselves there? We're not going to get anything. Folks, religion killed Jesus. And it will kill you and me unless we toss it in the garbage. Now, I'm going to challenge you. How many of you are willing to do that? To just try that for 40 days. Okay, I got two hands. I'm looking for some hands. I'm looking for some real commitment here, okay? If you don't feel like you can do it, don't raise your hand. But if, listen, try it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Give me the rules, Pastor. What do I do and what do I not do? That's religion. Ask the Holy Spirit, all right? That's the only rule. Just ask the Holy Spirit. All right? Because you see, the, 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 the brand of religion that infects me may not be the brand that infects you. I may have a, a, a wicked strain, and you may not have nearly as wicked a strain, okay? I'm just saying, ask the Holy Spirit. When you begin to, when you catch yourself going, oh my God, it's, it's 10 o'clock at night, I've not read my Bible today. Is that relationship or is that religion? Okay, I, I don't know. I can't answer that for you. Oh my gosh, it's Sunday morning. I woke up late. I got to get there. Is that religion or relationship? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. Well, I've got to be here and I've got to go to this meeting and that meeting. and I've got to be over there. And, you know what? I can't answer that for you. Is that reli- Do you do that because it builds your relationship with Jesus or because it feeds the religion within you. You're going to have to make that decision. I'm going to tell you something. This will simplify your Christianity a great deal. You will find that all those things that you think God cares so much about, He really doesn't. Really what He cares about is you and me. What if we gave up religion for 40 days? I'm going to challenge you, okay? I'm going to do this. 
And I can tell you already, it's going to be a, a fight for me. I can't answer for you. What if we give it up for 40 days? I know we make fun of everybody that gives up meat for 40 days, but you know what? What if we gave up? That's, that's religion, by the way. That attitude is. That's, it's religion. It's not relationship. What if we give up religion? Beginning next Sunday, we're going to begin to talk about relationship. Okay? But if you wean yourself off religion, there will be a place for relationship. When you, when you start to eat good food, you get hungry for more of it. That works in the natural. It also works in the spiritual. And God makes this promise, and I'm done with this. God says, if you'll open wide your mouth, I'll fill it up. I'll shovel in more than you can stand. See, God is a God of excess. We get a taste here and a taste there, and we're satisfied. You know why? Because we're eating between meals religious stuff. So I'm going to challenge you for the next 40 days. Mark this on your calendar. It's over February the 26th. I know because I'm a kind of person that goes, okay, how long have I got to do this? If I could just mark these days off, I can get there. I don't know about you. We're just going to start today, right now. Every time a, a religious thought comes in your mind and you catch it, God, that was religious. Show me where a relationship is in this situation. Let me understand what relationship would do in this situation, not what religion would do. It's that simple. Okay? Everybody with me? For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.